Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty For Her, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. We're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty for Her. And today I am so pleased to bring to you not just a one-time female founder, but as you'll learn, a four-time female founder, Allie Webb. This is not Allie's first time with us. You guys might remember she joined us for a live podcast and talked about both Drybar and her new company at the time, which was Squeeze. So she's added another one, Beckett and Quill, which we're going to hear all about in a second. Allie, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So why don't you, for those who don't know all of your platforms, will you let us know a little bit about your three businesses and, of course, your podcast? Yes. Well, I started Drybar 11 years ago now, which is crazy. We have over 150 locations across the country, a pretty massive product line that we sold actually in January. So, you know, I've been doing that (laughs) mostly for the last 10 years. And then about two years ago now, we founded a new company called Squeeze, which is a brick and mortar massage concept. But um, the big differentiator with Squeeze is that it's all app-based. So you book on the app, you tip on the app, all like our therapist information is all on the app. You put your preferences in on the app. Everything is very much centered around the app before you walk in the door and uh, your therapist has access to that. You know, when you're done, you just walk out the door. There's no, you know, checkout process, which is very relaxing when you've just had an hour massage. So we launched that two years ago and we had an incredibly, incredibly successful first year and then COVID hit. And so we've had to sadly, you know, close that down. We're actually reopening now this week. So that's pretty exciting. That's going to be a completely franchised um, operation. We have franchises already sold that will be, you know, up and running here soon. So that's business number two. And then you know, just because I had so much time on my hands. Um, no, I mean, it is, and I can talk more to this, not being in the day-to-day like I was in Drybar. And, and even though I have co-founded Squeeze and invested in Squeeze, I'm not running Squeeze the way I ran Drybar. Brittany Driscoll, who you know, who ran marketing at Drybar forever, is our co-founder and CEO of Squeeze. So she's kind of doing that. So I did actually have a little bit of time on my hands and, you know, got very inspired by a friend who was basically making her own jewelry. I was sent a piece of her jewelry and fell in love with it and started looking at, at what she was doing. and was like, wow, this is a really, you know, she's got a really great eye. This is a really great price point. She's figured out how to make, you know, jewelry that looks and feels very expensive, but doesn't have the high price tag. And I thought, you know, surely I could come in and help create a more of a brand identity around this, a great website, get some buzz and like really take what she was running as a very small operation and turn it into a bigger kind of business and and company. And so I spent the last year kind of figuring all of that out. We just launched it last week. It's called Beckett and Quill. So it's kind of um, 
you know, our little like internal tagline is like high end, not high spend, because you are getting jewelry that looks like it should be thousands of dollars, but it's more like in the hundreds. And our price range is really from $30 to 300. So it's a really affordable luxury, which is very similar to what we've done with Squeeze and Dry Bar. And then lastly is my podcast, Raising the Bar, which I started with my brother, Michael Landau, who's my business partner, but now I've transitioned into my boyfriend, Adrian Kaler, who's um, an executive coach, coaches uh, founders and CEOs, and he's just a brilliant, brilliant mind. So the podcast is, you know, us talking to other entrepreneurs about how they grew and scaled their business, but more importantly, like the inner workings of how people are like feeling about that whole process and managing all of that. So Yes, those are my four big things. <laughs> take take <a laughs> Now I'm exhausted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're going to get into a little bit more about the podcast later. One thing I just wanted to have you point out as listeners are tuning in, thinking, if Allie can start four businesses, so can I. And I want to go back yep. to the, the 11 years you spent running Drybar. And that that has allowed you to now have time and space and security to do these other things. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't go to college and I don't have a business like degree. I don't, I didn't have any real training, mm-hmm. quote unquote, to do what I'm doing. My parents were entrepreneurs. So I, I learned so much from them. It was like an education I didn't even know I was getting as a kid. Oh. I mean, I think I learned a lot along the way, like, you know, as a young 20 year old, and even the fact that I worked uh, for a guy as an assistant for for a guy who owned a hair salon in Boca Raton, Florida, and he taught me how to do hair. But because he was the owner of the salon, I, I also like got the education of watching him run a salon, which obviously would prove to be very valuable for me down the line. It wasn't something I knew was going to be valuable, but it was. And then, you know, I worked in PR and in a corporate setting for a while at Rogers and Cowan. And that kind of gave me like a little bit of the professionalism that I needed to run a own business, like how to compose an email, how to write a press release. Right. And those were things that I didn't like think I needed to know. So I think that like all of my steps along the way really uniquely prepared me for dry bar, which then dry bar running and scaling a business. So, you know, I've certainly applied so much of what I've learned from dry bar in squeeze and Beckett and quill. And, and obviously in my podcast where I'm talking so much about that and it's pretty amazing all the stuff that gets like stored in our brains that like comes out as needed, you know, and I'm able to really apply so much of that to all the things I'm doing today. And my guess is all of that not only helped you with dry bar, but it's all helping you to frame the conversations on the podcast, to know what to ask, to understand the pain points that people don't think of when they think of what it means to run a business, what it means to be an entrepreneur. And that probably puts the guest at ease and allows them to open up more quickly, right? To like, oh, she knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's a relatability factor that makes it really fun. And I always like it when people, um, for me personally, like, and I know not everybody feels this way, but I like it when people ask me more personal questions. I like talking about the more like real stuff that is like behind the scenes and under the surface a little bit because it's what people like really care about and want to know, I think. So we try to do that too. Ask like questions that make people a little uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. No. And I think actually the listener wants it. They're paying attention sometimes just as a voyeur, but sometimes they're like, can you just tell me the truth? Like if you just tell me how hard it was, then maybe I won't feel so alone in this. And 
if I'm in the middle of my struggle, I'm not on the end, I'm not on the other side of this, you're actually giving them hope. So I think yeah. it's important to dig beyond that. And hopefully we'll do a little bit of that here. Why mm -hmm. podcast? Why going from, I mean, I understand the dry bar squeeze, even this new project, Beckett and Quill with Meredith. I understand all that. It's like very brand sensitive. It's a product that people can really relate to, get their hands on. What about the yep. podcast became important to you or became a value, something you wanted to spend time doing? Yeah. I mean, initially it was like Michael and I were getting asked and still do, frankly, like, hey, do you have 15 minutes to like talk to me about my business or do you have time to give me some advice or mentor me and whatever? And we didn't, like we don't, you know, yeah. there's, there's only so many hours in a day and doing all these other things doesn't allow for that. But the podcast is a great resource for people and it was a great way for us to give back and talk about all the things that we learned along the way while talking to an entrepreneur and highlighting them. And so it just felt like a nice extension of what we were doing and really a way to be able to say like, here's some of the things we learned, you know, here's what's worked, here's what hasn't worked. It's been funny. I mean, it's such a weird thing to bring up, but I don't really like read reviews and that kind of stuff yeah. all that much. But I yeah. did see someone posted something about <laughs> our podcast and how like I talk about myself too much. And I'm like, well, it's part of the reason that we do the podcast is like to talk about my journey as an entrepreneur right. because of all the success we've had, because I don't consider myself like, I don't know if reporters, the right word, journalists, like I am not that like, I'm just, I'm an entrepreneur who had a business that did pretty well. And I want to talk about that. And like why somebody else is, you know, it's a conversation. It's not an interview style podcast per se. Right. So it's kind of like taking me back when people have been like, you should not be talking about yourself so much. I'm like, but that's part of why we're doing the podcast is to talk about my own experience. You know, it's part of it versus like a very interview driven. Yeah. Like you, I'm so, not a host. I'm actually the person. Yeah. yeah. It's had the experience. I'm having a conversation about my business, talking about your business and like what worked for you and what worked for me. So, you know, it's definitely not for everybody. You know, I think sometimes people show up to the podcast with different expectations. So when those have come in and Adrian and I have talked about it, it's like, do I respond to this publicly? Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's going to open up this other can of worms. And so whatever, but I don't know. It just struck me as like, hey, this is really what the podcast is about is like it, it's a place to talk about what we're dealing with. But, you know, Adrian coaches so many founders and there's a common thread that, yeah. we, you know, and we're kind of to your earlier point, we all have the same shit going on really yeah. when you boil it all down. So that's really what the podcast is about. And it's what I enjoy, you know, talking to other entrepreneurs about what they're going through and how I can relate or give some advice on how we dealt with, you know, whatever it was. And there's no shortage of other podcasts that they can go to if they want the host. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like they're out there. I know the one actually. Host, yeah. 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 Um, and so I actually appreciate that it's coming from somebody who's been there. I mean, yeah. as a former consultant, that's where I came from. Like, hey, I've consulted all these businesses. What would it look like to sit with the entrepreneurs that I've met with or entrepreneurs that people are curious about and talk to them about their businesses in a way that Evidence is I know a little bit of what I'm talking about. I'm not totally. coming at it from a host. And I don't want to say just a host because I think there are some hosts that do a fabulous job of it. For sure. But it's like the old television. Just change the channel. If you don't, <laughs> if this is not what you want, 
Change exactly. the channel. Yeah. There's lots of other ones yeah. out there. There's like um, 8 million podcasts. Yeah. You can find one for, for you. <laughs> I promise. Yes, yes. Okay. So then you talk about going from Michael to Adrian. What prompted that and how has that been different? With Michael, you know, obviously we were business partners as like a natural kind of yeah. extension. But I would say over the last like four years or three years, Michael and I weren't like in the trenches the way we used to be in the early dry bar days. And we had a lot of other people essentially running the company. We did find ourselves a little bit more time. And Michael, I live in LA, Michael lives in Orange County. So now we weren't, you know, technically like physically in the same place. And he was driving from Orange County, which if you know that drive, it's pre-COVID anyways, it really sucks. And then he had a baby. And so he really wanted to be home with his kid more. And and he's like Mr. Mom. I mean, he's very, very hands-on dad. And so it's like, it just became harder for him to, you know, physically manage coming and doing the podcast with me every week. And, And then I think it was also a little bit of, All the conversations were interesting, but they were similar. And so, you know, it was kind of like we kind of came to this crossroad too. like, do we really want to keep doing this? And I wasn't sure if I even did. And then when I met Adrian and right around this time, Michael was bailing on me (laughs) more than I would have liked. And um, and I say that with a lot of love. You know, when I asked Adrian, I was like, hey, baby, it'd be fun if you like stepped in for Michael and like co-hosted with me. And he was like, "Okay," because he's just such a great talker. and, And it's fun having somebody that you can have some sort of banter with too while you're doing it. So he stepped in and did a couple episodes and they were so fun. And we like just really enjoyed working together that we decided to actually make it a thing because we enjoyed it so much and we like being around each other and we're both so busy and it's fun to come together. Later today, we're interviewing somebody and it's kind of fascinating to me, like the things that he asks and how his brain works. And it's just a lot of fun. So we have a good time doing it and we always learn something about each other and it's just, yeah. It's nice to have a project together. And you guys have a fun and very honest chemistry. I watched, I don't know if it was a series you were doing or if you're still doing it, but the lives that you guys were doing. Yeah, yeah, they were really thought-provoking. They were raw at times. It was a nice insight into what, what does a healthy exchange look like? And my guess is that's part of the energy that you're bringing to the podcast as well. Totally. Yeah. We love doing those lives and, you know, we do these episodes, shit that bugs us, which is like, and sometimes it's like shit that we have or shit that we love. I mean, where we're just really having a conversation and we're yeah. basically recording it. So that's kind of what the lives are. We, we've been calling them like fight for love because <laughs> they end up being, I don't know if it's because we do them like at the end of the day at night, it just feels a little more like personal and we do get pretty raw on it. And we both kind of like that. And we're both so honest and open about the things that we've been through. And so we like talking about it and getting other people to talk about it. And I think we actually talked about doing one tonight. You know, I think that we want, especially in this day and age where, you know, everyone's like right now dealing with like so much like mental anxiety with everything that's been going on, you know, to be as open and authentic as we can, we think it's really needed. So we really enjoy it. Yeah. You also, Allie, I'm going to get personal just really quickly. You were open and honest about some stuff going on in your life, your divorce, and appropriately so, sort of like this is going on, thanks for the love kind of thing on Instagram. Do you feel like that equipped you, I think, on the podcast as somebody who's interviewing other people? Because you've sort of gone to the dark side. We all have, right? But you've been really open Mm -hmm. about that. And also, how has that changed you as a leader, as a female founder with other businesses? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, yeah, God, probably a little softer, you know, than I was, um, you know, it was very like, 
Don't let anybody see behind the curtain. Don't yeah. anybody think you don't have it all together. You know, I think there is a there is a mentality of a young founder of like, oh shit, everyone's looking to me for the answers. I better have them and I better not show any vulnerability. That's kind of how I thought. Yeah. And I think that um, over time and experience and like, but I really think it was like going through my divorce that pulled a lot of that out of me. I mean, I, it sounds so silly, but I remember I was really fortunate to, be, you know, become friendly with Brene Brown during the time of my divorce. And she mm -hmm. was, became a friend and it's like so crazy. And I didn't realize like what a big deal she was. She was just, I had someone told me to watch one of her videos on vulnerability. And so I watched it and I was like, I should talk to her. And I reached out to her and she like was a big dry bar fan. So she, you know, whatever we connected. But I don't think I really, I don't even think like the word vulnerability, I don't even think I knew of that word. Like mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't know of the word. I didn't think about that kind of stuff. Like that wasn't on my radar at sure. all as a human, as a business leader, nothing. And I certainly learned in the course of my dry bar time that I needed to like chill out a little. And I needed like people to feel like they could talk to me. People could challenge me. And I mm. learned that because at first I was very like my way or the highway and I knew everything that slowly, like I softened with that. But then going through my divorce and learning like the beauty of being vulnerable and letting people like see that, like you don't have it all together and see that like, I don't have all the answers and I don't know everything is, is like not only okay, but, but so needed for people around you to feel like they can, um, you know, have some meaningful impact in whatever you're doing. And so I've seen that in myself, you know, I mean, I happen to be within Beckett and Quill, I'm, I'm you know, working with someone who I've worked with in the past. And she said to me recently, like, you're, you're pretty different than you used to be. And I was like, how? Oh, wow. Yeah. Tell me, you know, and she's like, you're more open and evolved. And, you know, and I wasn't like that back in the day. So, you know, I mean, I think there is like something to be said for, you know, I mean, my divorce was really bad. Well, my divorce wasn't bad. It was pretty amicable. We're totally amicable now. But the, the dealing with the loss and the grief and the stuff that like I didn't see coming was so hard on me. And I went to like a really low, dark place. Mm. But like, and I hated it in the moment. I really hated it. And I hated the way I felt. And ugh, it was awful. But I'm so grateful that I went through it because it really changed me and made me like softer and better. And my kids tell me it all the time. You know, my kids are like, you're so different. You used to be such a bitch, mom. I mean, my kids <laughs> literally said that to me a week ago. We were all like in my pool and they were like in the hot tub, which is where we have like, it's weird. Meaningful conversations. Yeah, it's okay. Whatever. It's whatever. Very, it's very strange. They're like, you used to just be, they would like, remember like telling these stories where I would just be, they thought I was like, you know, kind of a mega bitch. And I was like, oh my God. And even just being able to hear that and mm. say like, yeah, I know. I've, you know because then now I'm, I'm different and softer. And of course I still get mad and that sort of thing, but it's very different. And I think it really was because of like what I went through and, you know, and who I became on the other side. Sure. I think you also have to get to the point where you have grace for who you were. You did the best you could. And yep. whether it was in your case, I'm a young entrepreneur. I've got to look like I've got my crap together. There are plenty of old entrepreneurs that feel like they have no excuses if they don't look like they have their crap together. So yeah. um, that makes sense. Tell me if you would recommend sharing the mic with a boyfriend. Should people go yeah. out and try and do that? Yeah. The feedback I've gotten, you know, is that people really like, uh, you know, kind of like you said, you you know, you like the listening to the lives and whatever. I think people like like that, the realness that yeah. they experience that, you know, and so I think it, um, 
it's just like it opens up a lot of conversation and a lot of doors. So I, I recommend it. But I'm also like an open book of a person. You know, I know a lot of people are very private. They don't want that stuff out there. They don't want people knowing that about it. I'm just not, I'm not like that. And I'm not like that really in any area of my life. I run into a friend. I want to know what actually is going on. I don't right. want to know like the bullshit answer. Yeah. That's just me. Not everybody likes that, you know? Well, my guess is people are tuning in because of that though, that that's a part of what you're, right. what you're giving to them. What about running the podcast is different than running a business? What tools are you bringing into that? And what's like, this is a completely different game. Like it's not the same at all. Yeah. It's not the same at all. What's interesting to me is like what which episodes like give me a lot of energy and which ones don't, yeah. you know, and it's, sim- that is similar to how it is. Like, you know, when you're, when you're in the throes of like starting and running your business, like there's things that you don't like doing and that you're like, Oh, I just wish somebody else would do this. And right. sometimes there is somebody else and sometimes there's not. And so I, I find that sometimes with our podcast too, it's like, sometimes we're interviewing somebody and I'm like, I just want to talk to them for hours and hours. <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes we're interviewing somebody and I'm like, I just, you know, it's just, yeah. this isn't like, and that's, what's also great about having a partner is like, there are certainly like, even Adrian and I will say, you're going to carry this one, you know, before we get on a podcast or he'll be like, I know nothing about this. Like we, we interviewed Dr. Lancer, you know, yeah. who's a pretty famous dermatologist. You know, I know he was in the beginning kind of like, I'm just going to be like in the background of this one where he ended up not being, and it ended up being a really fun conversation. But there are things like that, different people that we interview that we, one of us like has more experience on or more interest in. And so that is also part of it that makes it fun, which is very equatable to like when Michael and I were partners and there was things like dealing with like lease negotiations and, you know, stuff that I was like, I just do not care, but it's important. And I need to be, I need to like say, Hey, I think this space is a good idea or a bad idea, but I'm not going to be the one negotiating it. So it's definitely like the similar partnership in that way, which I enjoy. Which podcasts give you life, which interviews I should say, give you life. (laughs) Yeah. I think the interviews where, like I mentioned before, where our guests like get pretty like real and raw with us. We interviewed one that comes to mind. We interviewed GT Dave, the mm-hmm. guy who started uh, GT Kombucha. Okay. Um, I think I'm saying that right. A- and he, what was funny about this one, talk about vulnerability, is like we were like maybe like 15, 20 minutes into the uh, podcast and Adrian realized, you know, it's now we're working at home and he's like our tech guy that he didn't press record. So we weren't recording it. Yeah, which is like, mm-hmm. oh my God. Yeah. And he had just finished saying something about vulnerability and Adrian's like, listen, speaking of vulnerability, I'm really embarrassed to tell you this, but I haven't been recording. And he was great about it. And then it was like, we wouldn't have had enough time to restart it. So we decided to reschedule it. And, you know, it was like shit, bummer, whatever. And then when we did get back on with him, it was like weeks later. And maybe it's because we knew each other a little better because we spent those 20 minutes together. I don't know. But he got so much more vulnerable and real with us and told us like a lot about like his story. I mean, if you you get a chance to listen to that episode, it's really good because he talks about his inspiration for starting the kombucha and why he started his family. And he had a really like interesting, tough childhood and his brother, I die. I mean, it's just so emotional and you're like, holy shit. Like, and we didn't get all that. We weren't going down that road in the first go around. I like when people are, it's like real human stories, you know? And it's interesting because the podcast is very entrepreneurial, like framed, but I do really enjoy the ones most where people are like telling real, like human emotion stories. Those are like, you know, and that can be in any arena, like business or personal or whatever. And, And in his case, it was like, 
all these things that had happened to him personally largely informed what he ended up doing and being really successful at. So those are the ones that really like that capture you. Yeah. I remember one time asking my husband to sit down and watch chef's table and he's like, I don't need to watch like, like a cooking, mm-hmm. whatever. I was like, it has nothing to do with cooking. It has everything right. to do with like the human story. You're going to love this. Mm-hmm. And whatever yeah. one we watched, he was like literally tears in his eyes. Like that was amazing. <laughs> I was like, I told you. I know. I told it's you. It's so great. Suckers for yeah. that. Love it. As so many have pivoted during this pandemic, we too have shifted to meet the needs of our growing community of female founders. We want to use this podcast conversation as a starting point for deeper dialogue and to connect you to the resources, tools, and tips shared within these interviews. Please join us on the Liberty Network to connect, collaborate, and keep talking. And a few other perks in the Liberty Network. Join our monthly virtual Mentor Monday meetups, create and share your profile with the whole community, and access a brain trust of entrepreneurial women, all for free. To join the conversation, head to libertyforher.com That's L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-F-O-R-H-E-R.com and click on the bar at the top of the homepage that says, Join the Liberty Network. Okay, so now I want to pivot a little bit and sort of, it's hard to have you on the podcast and not pick your brain, which is why you started your podcast, but we're going to do it here. This particular season, we're focusing on female founders over 40. And every time I reach out to a guest and say, hey, are you willing to do this? They're like, really? Is there any other season you can put me in? I'm like, no, (laughs) this is really important. It's important that we have these conversations. And I think Having been around for a little bit, I am so happy to see all the millennial platforms that are out there and I applaud them. I want to shout them out. They're awesome. So glad for all those women that are taking advantage of a trajectory and a path that I don't think was, it was, it was rare for me, I'll say. And, but what I think has happened is that as I talk to more women who were over that 40, 45, maybe even I think they feel like that's a young woman's game. There's too much digital know-how that they've missed the wagon on. There's too much ahead of them that they feel like they'd have to relearn. And in fact, I'm like, you have all this life experience and all this work experience. That's exactly what you need to bring into this entrepreneurial space. What do you say to those women? Yeah, I mean, I can understand the complaint and the fear particularly because I just started a direct-to-consumer business, which is completely out of my wheelhouse. I mean, obviously, I've been in the brick-and-mortar world for a long time. Even when going back to my parents who were entrepreneurs, they had a a retail location. So direct-to-consumer D2C is like, what? Obviously, like, I built up a name for myself, and I have a lot of, like, people who who know, you know, Drybar and and who are, like, loyalists and will follow me and whatever, and so will be somewhat interested in what I'm doing. But, like, that's a pretty small footprint. I'm not like Kim Kardashian where like anything I do, a million people will like it. So I'm now in this space of like, how do I get, how do I drive people to our website? How do I get people to actually buy jewelry? And I'm like, oh shit, to your point, I'm not as like connected to like, you know, I don't know digital marketing that way. I don't know how, you know, how you finagle in the SEO world. And so I'm like, I have to learn that, but I'm not scared of it, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think 
going back to like what I learned in dry bar, you know, there was a lot of other people doing that in dry bar. I wasn't a part of that. I wasn't paying attention to that. Now I need to know. So I am calling people. I mean, like just today, I have a call with a digital marketing girl who's probably half my age, who understands that world. And, and, you know, whatever, you can probably be any age to do it, but you know, it's, it's like, I'm utilizing like, oh, here's something I don't know how to do. So I'm going to go find somebody who does, you know, which is like the cardinal rule, right? In business. It's like, if you don't know how to do it, find somebody who does. And I don't know how to do that. So I don't think I feel, you know, I'm about to be 46. Like, I don't feel um, like I can't keep up. I mean, I probably feel the opposite, you know, maybe even overly confident. Like I have a lot of experience. There's a lot of things I know. And I'm okay recognizing the things that I don't and what I need help on. And like, that's what makes the world go round, right? It's like those millennials out there are the ones who might be able to help me, probably will be able to help me. And then like the areas I fall short in. I mean, I have a 13-year-old and and 16-year-old and they used an expression the other day and I was like, what? And they explained (laughs) it to me. It's like, this is what people are saying now. And it's like, okay, like, great. Like, you know, I'm like, I'll take it wherever I, I can get it, you know? So I don't think, you know, to answer your question, I don't think I'm intimidated by it. I think it's okay. There are things that, you know, a millennial doesn't have because they don't have the experience that we have and, and vice versa. Sure. And, you know, and the more we can all work together, the better. And that goes back to what you said earlier in the conversation about the difference when you were younger, feeling like you had to make sure that everyone thought you had it all yes. together. Yes. And now yes. with age, interestingly enough, you're like, who cares? I'm. Let me just go yeah. get the people. Let me scaffold around me and this idea and exactly. this concept what I need help on. Exactly. Love that. And by the way, way to go, 46. You look good, girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank um, you. I wanted to also ask a little bit about the, like, we think any woman can do anything at any age. I mean, the, the yeah. podcast is called Liberty and that, that's not a, an accident. But I also appreciate the kind of honesty that comes with, okay, here is where it has been hard, where my age has kind of been an issue. And I want to address this slightly differently with you. You also have a reputation for dry bar in particular, and you've been on the cover of magazines and you've been lauded as this success and a poster child for a lot of female founders. Does that put pressure? Does the age and experience put pressure on you to go out and start new things or try new things? Yes. (laughs) Um, I think there's certainly pressure. And I don't think I even really thought about that as much with Squeeze um, because, you know, Squeeze was like the machine still. Cam, my ex-husband, did the branding. Josh, our architect, built the space, designed the space. Brittany from Drybar was, you know, like already such a great leader was going to run the thing. And my brother was the same dry bar team. So that felt less like pressure on me personally. And I think squeeze is such a, such a home run that, you know, it was like, it's just such a great concept. And it's like, we've proven that. I think I feel more pressure now with Beckett and Quill because it's just just a smaller idea. It's a smaller thing. And it's just me. You know, it's a Meredith who's my business partner, but has no experience of business. And there's so many similarities with like, she's sweat equity. I put up all the money, you know, that was like my brother put up all the money and I was sweat equity, you know, 11 years ago. So it does feel, and I didn't, I don't even think I thought about it at all until I started doing interviews and stuff for Beckett and Quill. And I was like, 
oh shit, you know, people are going to be looking at me like you bet you should be successful because look what you've, all the things you've done. Then there was like, oh yeah, there is a little bit of like pressure here, but I'll tell you what I've also come to, you know, full circle with that, that like, you know, and and I'm learning that, like I said before, like launching a DTC business is different and harder than I thought it was going to be. And so I'm in the throes of that and figuring that out, which I actually am enjoying. And I like the challenge um, of figuring it out. And I feel like even if like this business doesn't become like the next dry bar, which is not the goal, by the way, that's okay. And it's like, it's just an, it's like another muscle I'm flexing and another Mm. avenue I'm walking, which I think is even more like should, or I hope it would be more inspiring. Like it doesn't have to be like a giant home run to be fulfilling, satisfying and successful. You know I mean? It's like we did even though we are direct to consumer, we did these like pop-ups this past weekend and it, and like it did really well. People love the jewelry and that, and, and I was like, I, we set up a table, I was behind the table selling it, and like, that was so fun to be doing that again, you know? So it's like success looks different all the time. And now I don't really feel the pressure. And I've said it a few times now publicly, like I am not trying just similar to like how when we first started dry bar, I was hoping we'd have one shop and I pick my kids up from school and that would be it. And that's very much how I feel about this. It's like, we're starting this jewelry company because I love it and I'm obsessed with jewelry and I'm excited about what we're doing. And, and hopefully we'll make a little bit of money from it, but we'll have a really good time doing it. And that's it right now. So I think like that kind of alleviates the pressure. Like I'm not trying to make it as big as dry bar, not right now anyway. I think that also comes with I don't don't know if it's age or just wisdom, which sometimes comes with age, but just what do I call success? What does this need to be for me? Yeah. And I don't need to put the outside pressure on myself. If people expect it to be the next dry bar, that's their problem or their business or their concern, not mine. I have to ask you, because that is a partnership, what did you look for? You said that you had worked with Meredith before. I was reading in the bio that you got, I think, the little black heart necklace from her, and then you kind of Uh fell in love with that. When you looked at going into a partnership, what were you looking for, having the experience that you had? Well, the beauty of this whole partnership, this whole business is like it wasn't, I wasn't looking at all, you Uh know. Someone sent me the heart necklace, the black heart necklace, and I loved it. And so I started following just Meredith on Instagram. She didn't have like a business page. She had a website that was like very, very simple. And I was like, huh. I remember like when she, I, someone sent me her thing first and then I had ordered a couple of things and she started sending me stuff. But, and it was like, I thought the way it arrived, like the packaging wasn't great and the website wasn't great. I didn't think it should be named Meredith Quill. I thought it should just be Quill. And I had a lot of like thoughts, right. which by the way, I have about anything that anyone ever sends me is like right. my mind just works in a way of like, this is amazing, but it could be so much better right. if they did this, what this, else and this. That's yeah. just, right. That's just how I, I think. And so as I got to know her and really just because I was like, hey, anytime she posted herself wearing something or whatever, I was like, I want that, you know, and I was like, I loved her style and aesthetic and I always wanted her jewelry. And so we started talking and I told her, I was like, it was the first time I'd ever like kind of volunteered my opinion. Usually I, if someone asked me, sure. But I said to her, I was like, hey, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity here to really like enhance the packaging and the overall experience. When you open the jewelry, you get the jewelry going through the website, all those things. And she was very open to that. And she was like, yes, please tell me what, what can I do? You know? And so her initial like openness to feedback and learning and growing was like very attractive to me as a partner, having invested in a lot of, a a lot of businesses I've learned 
you come across a lot of founders or business owners that are not open to other things. They think they know everything. They Mm -hmm. think that, which I was that way at one point too, Mm -hmm. but like those people, like that's not going to work. Like I need somebody who's, you know, pliable. We can like work things out together. And, And Meredith was very much like that. You know, she was, she's just like a sponge and she was like, Yes, please tell me. And and don't get me wrong. She's not like a pushover and she's very strong opinions and points of view, which I also like about her. So I think that that's like, you know, finding a partner that has all of that open to feedback and can recognize the things that they don't know and they're not good at, which she did. And also like be very confident in things that they are. You know, Meredith is the, she's the jewelry designer. She comes up with these things and then, you know, she'll ask me what I think and what I like and, and she'll take my opinions. But she more drives that part of the business where I'm like, the whole other side of the business is like, you know, getting excitement around the brand, creating the brand, which I brought Cam in to do. And I'm bringing in other people to do the things that I know need to be done that I might not be good at, but I know. And she doesn't have any experience in that. But the reason the partnership works is because we're both kind of open to the things that we're not good at, you know, which is really why my partnership worked so well with my brother and Cam. It's like, we all had our different skill sets and we all recognize that. Everybody had the role, right? Yeah. And it's very, very similar with Meredith. So I think that's, and I did go back and forth on whether I wanted to do this or not. And she was very patient in that process with me. Cause I was kind of like, I think I want to do this, but like, I really have no business in jewelry. Like that's not my area. But then I was like, maybe, and I kept going back and forth and like, you know, it was a little bit of like, I'm sure an emotional roller coaster for her because she was really excited. <laughs> She's on. I was like, Hey, I, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, I really want to do this. And then I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to do this. And I did go back and forth quite a bit. You know, I remember, I think one time I texted her and I was like, hey, I'm sorry that I've been a little MIA. I'm I'm just like, and I I decided to move. And so I was like dealing with that. And I was dealing, you know, with like still some stuff with my divorce. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this right now. And she was always like, it's cool. Like whenever you're ready, I'm here, you know? And I also really appreciated that. And that was a good indicator, like Hmm. light of what this partnership will look like. So all these little things, you know, that happened over the course of this last year, really, since I met her, really informed, you know, my decision to ultimately do it. Aside from some of the personal stuff that you were going through and that, and just the timing of it, what kept you from jumping in? You had said earlier, I had time, you loved the jewelry. What was the thing that kept you going? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, you know, I think it was like financially, like how much of an investment do I want to make? Um, How much will this actually cost me to do it right? Right. You know, because initially like I wanted to put in a certain amount and then that started just feeling overwhelming, like too much. And then I realized I could do less and it would still be really great. Yeah. So I was kind of like grappling with the financial contribution it would take because I didn't want to half-ass it. If I was going to do it, I wanted to do it. So I was like, do I you know, how much do I want to put in? And so that was a big thing for me. And then, like I said, I was like, do I really have any, and this is when I think like self-doubt and like what people think really came in. Like, do I really have any business being in like the jewelry world? Um, There is a lot of competition. It, It is a pretty like saturated market. I still, you know, I kept coming back to the fact that like, she's been doing this business on her own for the past four years. And, you know, is making like, a little bit of money. Like, and you know, I remember she, when she told me, which she didn't tell me till so late in the game, which was funny that, you know, she was, she, you know, pays for her mom's apartment back in New York and, you know, the Beckett and Quill, or at that time, Meredith Quill money supports that. And I was like, 
great. We know there's the proven commodity here. You're making, you, you know that we can at least afford mom's <laughs> rent. And I was like, that's all that I need. You know, I really right. did feel like there is something here and we can make it bigger. How big? I don't know. How much? I don't know how, how scalable it is, but I think there is uh, a lot of potential here. And I really wanted to be a part of that. So yeah, I forgot the question. I it doesn't matter. I, I liked it the answer. Matter. I liked the answer. <laughs> okay, now I am going to go down the like social media thing, which you had said, you know, you went and hired somebody relative to this, or you're having a conversation with somebody relative to the marketing of Beckett and Quill. But what do you say to all of those people, all of those women who are in the over 40 crowd that are concerned about social and say, you know, maybe it's a young woman's game, a young person's game. I'm going to stay out of it. Do you think it's necessary for brands to have a social presence? I have my thoughts, but I wanted to hear yours. Yeah. I mean, I think it's crucial. I don't think you can't not. I mean, maybe some people can. In, In my experience, you know, even when we started Dry Bar in 2010, you know, Instagram was actually getting started right around then too, but Twitter was bigger back then. And I remember people like posting because Twitter wasn't a great place to put pictures, but people were still doing that. And that word of mouth was really, really powerful. And then Instagram really blew up. And then it was like everybody was posting pictures of their blowouts and then they would tell their friends. And even if they only had 60 followers, it was 60 people they were telling. That was amazing, you know? Yeah. And I'm also like a PR girl. Like I worked at Rogers and Cowan when I was in my 20s and I understand and believe in the power of PR and like getting the word out there and that word of mouth is really powerful. And, you know, social media is a really, really powerful place. And it's just, you know, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not is is irrelevant. You know, it's more like it is a way people get yeah. information. I mean, when we were growing up, we looked at magazines a lot. You know, it's like Instagram is the new magazine. You know, you scroll Instagram yep. like you would flip magazine pages. Well, how we get our information now is how we get our news. It's like all sorts of inf- things are coming. And, and sure, not everybody subscribes to that. But I think that is largely how people ingest information. So if they are learning about your business that way. Like, I think that's like pretty important, you know, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm not as like familiar with how like things like paid ads and things like that sure. work. That's something that I have to get a little bit more educated about, but I think it's important. It, just like you would put an ad in a magazine in Allure 10 years ago, it's like you're putting an ad on Instagram so people see it. You know, it's like yeah. for us, like I really want to target men because I have an affordable jewelry company and men have a hard time buying gifts. Like we actually have a thing on our website that like you can go in and fill out your information or just like put your husband's information in or your husband can and like we'll send him an email two weeks before, you know, right. a birthday or a holiday or anniversary so that he doesn't forget. And it's like I want to I want to figure out how we market to men. You know, I don't know exactly where men are ingesting there. I just, you know, rely <laughs> on what my brother and Adrian tell me, but somebody knows and I'm going to go find that person. I don't think you cannot have social in this day and age. I agree. And I think it used to be, well, I'm not that sort of business. I actually have a former client who she specializes in getting people, their kids into private schools in Southern California. Very niche business. And she's like, why would I ever go to Instagram? I was like, okay. Well, if you want business. Yeah. Let's say you're new into town and you're looking for like, what are the schools that are around? Or you're looking for like kind of a rating, top 10 schools in Santa Monica, whatever. All those 
opportunities are lost. And if you think that, well, the business that you've had going hasn't needed that, you're missing your pipeline of parents who are having babies now and your future clients. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of feel like you have to have some presence and the way you do it can be unique. And the, you know, how many times you show up and all of that is where you can play a little bit. But I think everybody has to have that social media presence. And to your point about the magazine, like if the world now is open, like anybody can shop from anywhere at any time. It doesn't have to be your local stores. Yeah, it is amazing. But how do we find out about that? Where do we go? And I, at 53, go to Instagram to check out things like, do I like this brand? Do I want to even go to their website? It's just the easiest place to go. So, yeah, I mean, even like Adrian was like making fun of me recently because we were talking about a company. I'm like, I don't know that company. So I went on Instagram to look it up. He's like, it's so funny. You went to Instagram, not like Google. I'm like, oh, well, because I'm going to see pictures and then there'll yeah. be a link to the website. Like, And I'm I'm in my 40s, yeah. you know? And, but that's how I, granted, I i don't like TikTok and like all yeah. that stuff. Like, I don't really understand that world as well. And also to your point about your friend who has the very niche, like private school thing. It's like, do you know how many times I've posted on my Instagram page? Literally last week was like, hey, I'm looking for like a creative high school for my boys. Does anybody know one? And I got tons of DMs, yeah. you know? It's like, it's not only a great place for businesses. I have posted, I need a babysitter. Does anybody know one? Sometimes I'll post things just to like the close friend yeah. option of like, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a sitter or I'm looking for whatever I'm looking for. I put it on Instagram. Yeah. Whether you have a hundred followers or a hundred thousand followers, a lot of people will respond because, you know, people love to give their opinion. Yeah. You know, it's, it's such a great resource in so many ways. And to that point, it's a great way to get that sort of feedback, which you never would have gotten in the pages of Allure. Yeah, you can't right. get that kind of feedback. You can't hear from your customer or your potential customer in that way. Sometimes you don't want to hear those things and you can choose yes. to ignore them. But I think it is an important space for them. And so back to your earlier point, if you're uncomfortable with social, find somebody who's comfortable with it. But you've yeah. got to like, build I, and it I into your brand. And I know people like that. I have, yeah, I have plenty of friends who are like, don't get involved in it. That, you know, they have other people do it, you know, and I, it's like, everyone has like their comfortable point in that. Like for me, it's like, I actually really like social media. I like being on Instagram. I like, I do a lot of it, you know, myself, but some people want to have somebody else running it and that's cool too. Yeah. Yeah. I need both. I need to be involved and then also have somebody running it too. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So first of all, I was thinking about what you just said. It's on my mind before I move on. But you're like, where do we talk to men about Beckett and Quill? And do you remember there was a website? I'll find it and I'll send it to you. But there was a website and it was like all these cool things just for men. And they were trying to be sort of like a... Like Daily Candy used to be? Yeah, very much like Daily Candy, but for men. And I can't remember what happened. I feel like they like somebody bought them out and maybe they don't exist anymore, but they were brilliant. My husband would go find these random things. And it could be like, mm. where do men like to, you know, go out to eat in LA? It could be very, yeah, like, yeah. Um, or w- the best steak or the best burger or whatever. I'm trying to I have to figure out who they are and then forward that to well, you. Please send yes. it my way. <laughs> we will. Think of it. Yes. And by the way, for <laughs> all the, for all the wives and girlfriends listening, like this is, like the tool you've been waiting for to be able to send people to Beckett and Quill. And there it is. It's all done for them. Right. And then yeah. that the boyfriend gets yeah. all the love in the end yes. for the husband. He looks like, yeah. he looks like a good You got guy. exactly, right. exactly what I wanted. Yes. So 
go a little bit back to raising the bar and the conversations that you and Adrian have had with people on the, I think it's on the iTunes description or the podcast description. You guys talk about your ability to really kind of get behind the brand, get behind the entrepreneur, really get to understand them and their pain points and their obstacles. What are the things that you've seen like time and time again throughout the different interviews where you're like, that obstacle always comes up or, you know, nine times out of 10, we hear that sort of story. What is that? There is a commonality that comes up. And I think a lot of it's like fear and avoidance. Mm. You know, it's like a lot of people are avoiding. I did it too as a founder. You know, it's like we're avoiding the hard conversations. We're not talking about what's really there because we're scared. It's similar to what I was saying about you know, I didn't want people to think I didn't have all the answers. I wanted people to think I did and I knew everything. And I was like, you know, because somebody had to have all the answers. And so, of course, it had to be me versus me being saying, you know, I'm not really sure. What do you think? You know, Mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of founders feel that pressure to pretend and, you know, they don't have all the answers because they're scared of how they will look. By virtue of that, we end up avoiding a lot of tough conversations because we're scared to have them. And I think that we find... That is what a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is that like being open to feedback. I mean, we've certainly talked to to founders who they'll have, you know, some sort of like anonymous system for people to give feedback. But it's like, well, why is it anonymous? Like you should be hearing yeah. from the person. You yeah. know? So, all, so those conversations, I think we all, you know, struggle with like how to crack that nut of like, let's be really transparent and vulnerable. Um, but we all we all don't want to, and we all like want to avoid dealing with that person or that situation. I think that's a pretty. Where have you gone in the past to be open and vulnerable as an entrepreneur without, you can't go to your team. You can't, you know, I mean, you can ask them, you can be open. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to do this, but some things are just, it's not appropriate to go back to the team and say X, Y, and Z. Where have you found kind of a safe place to be an entrepreneur with questions. Do you go to other entrepreneurs that you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I've, you know, cultivated a really a, amazing group of all of my friends are, are founders and yeah. entrepreneurs. And that's just, you know, I moved to LA 16 years ago, 17 years ago. And, and all of those, that's just kind of what happened. And, the, you know, the expression, you are the company you keep, yeah. you know, I think that it's true. And I surround myself with people, you know, that I can bounce ideas off of. And I think there's a lot of people in my world from my brother to my closest girlfriends who run companies to Adrian that I will call and or Brittany or like all of those people, I will call or text almost daily and say, Hey, how do you do this? Or, Hey, like, what do you think of this? Or can, what do you, can, let me bounce this idea off of you. And they will give you pretty honest feedback, you know? So I think it's like surrounding yourself with people that you really trust is so key. Yeah. And I think a lot of, you've had the good fortune of having some of those people, you know, it sounds like when you came to LA and started dry bar, those relationships became natural. You started to lean yeah. on each other. But for those who totally. don't have them, I think find them, find those people who yeah. maybe they're not other entrepreneurs, but find people who you trust, who you respect, who have 
a history of giving sound advice and also find communities of entrepreneurs where you can be open. I know one in particular, it's called Liberty. So head on to our network. Okay, Ali, last question. What do you want to say to our listeners who are over 40 who might think it's too late, might think that maybe they've missed the boat? What do you want to say to them? I mean, it's never too late. You know, I mean, I think that there's like reinvention comes at every age, whether you're 20 or 40 or, you know, I know so many women in their 50s and, you know, who are starting new businesses, new ventures all the time. It's like, I don't, I really don't think it's ever too late. And I think honestly, like life is short and you should, you know, figure out the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning, gets you excited. Like we talked about so much already here today. There are so many other people you can lean on to help in the things that you are not as confident in, things that you're insecure about. So, I mean, keep that in mind, you know, like people within your network and that want to help you that understand things that you don't, you know, I think age is such a silly thing, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like you can do anything and you have a, you have a very unique perspective, the older you are and obviously more experienced. So I don't think it should be a hindrance at all. You may not know everything about everything, but you know a lot about what you know. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you don't know it. what you don't know. Yeah. You know, there's a lot you do know. So I don't think age should stand in your way at all. Yeah. Okay. You guys heard it from Allie. You heard it here. Yes. Um, and I said that was our last question, but I lied a little bit. We've got five really <laughs> quick questions that we're going to ask you. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. What's okay. the number one trait you think an entrepreneur should possess? Risk adversity. Oh, okay. You can't be scared. You got it. You know, it's like you're going to fail. You're going to lose money. You're going to lose time, whatever. But you got to be okay with that. Okay. And then what app do you use relative to your business? So it could be your busy day or something that you're using to run any one of your businesses. Gosh, I mean, I for years I used an app called Wonderlust, which mm. I really liked. Mm-hmm. I don't use it as much anymore. I mean, I feel like just like my calendar is my Bible, you know, it's like... <laughs> nothing gets and and it's like personal stuff business stuff like everything is in the calendar you know with notes and so i don't know i that's like an app what was wanderlust i don't know it wanderlust was like an an app that you can share with other people like whether it's like your assistant or people who are working for you where you can all like there can be to-do lists and it it can be assigned to somebody else and it's all like integrated so if i do something on it they see it okay which is great we've mentioned like asana or slack or some of those things where people have connected yeah i mean i use slack for some stuff too but yeah calendar i don't know the calendar yeah okay i I know i know i it's i die by it it leads everything everything. yeah and then what's the first task you hired out as soon as you had money like personally no for one of your businesses Oh, uh, gosh, I would say like in Drybar, I think the first thing we, the first person we hired was, I mean, I remember who it was like it, but I don't remember what the, what the exact title was, but I think it was somebody to help us with, well, PR and and then like operations. So early on PR. Oh yeah. Before we even opened, we'd have PR. Again, my background in PR, I was like, you have to have PR if you want to like, you know, get the word out about your business. So yeah. PR so always. a major part of the that first infusion of cash was in public relations. Yeah, I mean, we earmarked a good chunk of money to you know for PR for raising the bar for um, Beckett and Quill for Squeeze, all of it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, awesome to know because I think some people don't know when they should bring in that kind of money for that particular yeah. thing. 
And it's a range. You can find a PR firm like a Rogers and Cowan that's really expensive, or you can go with like a smaller boutique, or you can go to a person yeah. and say, you know, where they're just like one person who's helping you. There's a lot of different yes. variations of PR. There are. Okay. And then this is, I always say the hardest one, red vines or Twizzlers? Ugh, I don't like either. Oh. Adrian just bought like Twizzlers the other day and I was like, it's like eating plastic and yeah. I love candy, but I don't like either. Of Not, them. No, okay. I agree that no. Twizzlers are like eating plastic, but red vines. So maybe I've never tried <laughs> Okay. We're, we'll send you some, we'll send you some. And then, um, <laughs> So, you know, the podcast is called Liberty for Her. That's our platform. Our network is the Liberty Network. We're all about this concept of liberating your dreams, your entrepreneurial dreams. What does liberty mean to you? Well, probably similar to that. It's like notion like you can do anything at any time and there's, you know, you're kind of your biggest obstacle. Mm -hmm. Amen. You know, you yourself. Yeah. Yeah. We need to get over ourselves for sure. I mean, in yeah. the good way yes. and the, we in the always bad way. stand in our own way. Yeah. 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 That's a great place to end. Allie, thank you. Thanks for this time. Thank you. Good to see you yes. again. Um, good see good you luck too. with all four endeavors, and we will make thank sure you. they're all posted on the show notes. I appreciate that. Well, hopefully, next time you're on the show, there'll be a fifth business that we can. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure there introduce. will be. <laughs> um, until then, thank take you care. So much. Of course. Liberty listeners, thanks for tuning in to this conversation with Ali, and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Liberty for Her is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty for Her on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty for Her is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower. Jordan Flower.